0: You drift on top of the ocean, the water lapping around you as you soak up the sun and photosynthesize with your microalgae buddies. It's a good day to be phytoplankton. You know that sound. It's feeding time. A pot of whales breaks the silence as they begin to conduct their business. It's good news for you though. You're hungry, and there's nothing quite like nutrient-rich whale poo for dinner. When they're done, they dive back down to the depths to feed again. Full, relaxed, you go back to absorbing sunlight and CO2. Eventually, like they always do, the whales will be back to feed you. They will be back, right? This cycle is the whale pump. Whales feed, they poop, phytoplankton feed, they photosynthesize and provide us with oxygen. The cycle continues. Now, phytoplankton create about 40% of the oxygen we breathe, even though this biomass only makes up about 2% of the world's plants. We need phytoplankton to live, and they need whales to live. I'm Jacqueline Swan, and this is Technality a podcast that explores technology and the future we're headed towards. Today, I'm going whale-seeking.
1: I did a research project comparing humpback song to human language, uh, and their songs are just incredible. I mean, if you've ever, if you haven't listened to them, go check them out. You can find them on Spotify, actually.
0: Meet Malcolm Kennedy
1: and I'm a data scientist at WhaleSeeker.
0: WhaleSeeker is an example of a company using ethical AI. Humans are working alongside these advanced learning algorithms to solve humanity's problems. In this case, the company is looking to use the tech to protect whales, which in turn, fights climate change.
1: Yeah, so WhaleSeeker is a Montreal-based startup that aims to accelerate and facilitate whale detection using AI. Traditionally. Whale detection has been done in the marine industry by hand. So we'll have these manned aerial surveys or, or drone surveys that go over an area of interest. They'll take hundreds of thousands of images. And then those images will be sent, you know, hard drive will be sent to a biologist. And it'll take a biologist maybe a year to go through those images and find the whales so that, so that we can have, for example, a, an accurate population estimate. And so it's a lot of work. And that's, that's kind of how our, our, our co-founders got into this this idea is they, they saw how much work that was. And what AI does is it says, rather than looking at 100,000 images, you can, get, you can train AI to identify the, uh, the images that might contain whales, and then you can get a biologist to just look at those. And so you can cut down that work from, from say, a year of work to maybe a month total or, or less.
0: The earliest known form of whaling dates back to 3000 BC by coastal communities. In the 17th century, fleets of whaling ships emerged to provide for an ever-growing industry. By the 18th century, the oil whales produced became necessary for the Industrial Revolution, making whaling a lucrative industry. In the 20th century, the industry of harvesting massive amounts of whales at one time pushed the species to the brink of extinction. With this came a disruption to an ecosystem that relies heavily on these massive creatures to survive. In 1986, the International Whaling Commission banned commercial whaling due to extreme depletion of whale stocks.
1: And the only reason they stopped in the 80s is the international community realized that they were going to be gone in a generation. By the time whaling halted, most whale species were on the brink of extinction. And since then, they've been making an admirable comeback, but there are new risks now for whales. Uh, Some of the biggest risks are from the shipping industry. As the shipping industry grows, ship noise is an increasing threat to whales because it interferes with their communication and their echolocation. And then ship strikes are also a huge threat to whales. They often go unnoticed, and they're a huge problem for some whales, especially species that coincide with major shipping routes. So basically... um, if you know where whales are and how many and at what times they're there, then you can start to plan policy or plan corporate decisions in such a way that you can avoid some of those unnecessary conflicts between whales and humans.
0: The whales are coming back, slowly, but they are. The people at Whale Seeker want to keep it that way, which is why they're helping shipping companies and governments understand where these pods of whales are.
1: And to bring that data specifically into the hands of of decision makers, of the people, be that governments, be that shipping companies, ports, our ultimate goal is to uh, protect whales and allow them to, to regrow their populations.
0: The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or the IPCC, is the United Nations body for assessing climate change. In 2022, the IPCC released a report warning that the world is set to reach 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming levels within the next two decades if humanity doesn't make the most drastic cuts in its carbon emissions. As mentioned in the beginning, phytoplankton does most of the global legwork to cycle out carbon, but they heavily rely on whales to survive. So not only is cutting our emissions important to slow Earth's rising temperatures, but so is nurturing the environment that cycles out the carbon.
1: So a lot of people wouldn't see an obvious connection between climate change and whales. For starters, whales actually sequester a bunch of carbon in their bodies while they're, while they're alive. right? So they're massive animals, obviously. The largest whales, the baleen whales, the sperm whales, can sequester around the carbon equivalent of a thousand mature trees in its body while it's alive. So that's just the direct kind of carbon sequestration that that whales do. But then even more importantly, what whales do for the climate is they participate in something that we call the whale pump. And the whale pump is this phenomenon where, uh, whales, um, migrate between the poles and the equator and all of them dive between surface waters and deeper waters. And when they do this, they actually circulate nutrients between those areas. So feed in one area and poop in another. So actually whale poop is one of the biggest sources of nutrients for phytoplankton. And phytoplankton are one of the biggest carbon sinks in the world. They're not thought about a lot from us here on land, but they actually have comparable carbon sequestration and oxygen generation capabilities to all of the world's forests combined. And so if we can restore or start to bring whales populations globally back to where they were before whaling, which they're still nowhere near at, then maybe we can start to regrow phytoplankton populations as well because the phytoplankton actually depend on these nutrients that are recirculated
0: by whales. Whale seeker is using AI in a way that serves humanity an ethical use of technology to cut down the whale search time so scientists and environmentalists can better focus on their main goal, saving the whales. After the break, we'll look at how exactly they're using ethical AI and what we're doing with that information. In the episode titled Contemplating AI Sentience, my guest Stephen Marsh mentioned the idea of ethical AI and using the technology as a tool to help humanity. Essentially, while some people are using the tech for unscrupulous reasons, WhaleSeeker is using it to better Earth and fight back against climate change.
1: We're asked often, right, if we're developing AI to detect whales and humans are already doing this work, expert biologists are doing this work, aren't we going to eventually replace those biologists and their expertise? And our answer is definitely not. At least with the kind of AI that we're developing right now, what we're actually allowing is for the biologists work to go further. When we get a survey with with 100,000 images, rather than the biologist spending a year looking at all those images, what we actually do in this technique that we call, well, it's an existing technique in AI that that has never been applied to, to whales before, that's called human in the loop AI, is rather than have the human look at all those images, we have the AI look at all the images and tell the human which images it's least certain about which images does it need help on? And it asks the human to annotate those images for it. So it says, tell me where the whales are in these images. I'm not so sure about these. And that could be because, for example, the model, the AI model that we're using to start with, was trained in a different part of the world, trained maybe on a different species or in a different environment. When it asks the human to annotate those images, and then they're sent back to the AI, and we actually can fine-tune the model that we have with those You know, this small subset of the new images, the model will now better fit the new data with a fraction of the data that we would normally use to train an AI algorithm from scratch. And so human in the loop, the way we look at it, it's essentially a way for uh, a biologist's finite work hours to go a lot further. It also makes their work a lot more interesting. If you imagine the process of going through 100,000 images of the ocean taken from a drone, and looking for the one percent of those images that contain whales right and then you have to find the whales and you know put a little dot on them on your computer or whatever versus now you're given images that either contain whales or they look like they do right you're doing the judgment calls you're doing the kind of edge cases we call them rather than annotating the whole data set and so that's kind of one of the benefits of of ai is that actually allows humans work to be a little more interesting and to go a lot further than it would otherwise. So we're in the process now of writing up a paper on a pilot project with this human-in-the-loop technology. Essentially, what we see is that an AI can agree with a human as much as humans agree with each other, which is basically all we can expect, right? When two humans look at the same data, these hundreds of thousands of images taken from drones, two humans will actually disagree with each other as well, a little bit, right? There will be judgment calls. There will be whales that are a little deeper in the water column that they're not so sure about, or let's say a white cap that really looks like the shape of a whale. What we're seeing is that, which is pretty cool, is that we can't get 100% agreement between one human and our AI, but we can see AI start to approach the range of agreement with a given human that that human might have with another human. So the AI is kind of becoming a peer of humans in that sense. It's Obviously, there are still uh, some judgment calls in this data because it's so complex, but we're seeing that kind of human level accuracy start to emerge from this technology.
0: While they have cut down on the time it takes to spot a pot of whales, the team is trying to move towards real-time recognition. However, they need support. And like everything, that support mainly comes in the form of money.
1: When the company was founded, it was founded to fulfill an existing need. So there was an existing kind of market for whale detection. But as you can imagine, it's relatively limited. So, you know, Government of Canada, for example, Department of Fisheries and Oceans does a ton of surveys, aerial surveys, keep track of different whale populations throughout the country. So that's kind of one source of work for us. And then there are also private companies, shipping operations and mining operations, et cetera, that have to do whale monitoring as part of their terms of operation in a sensitive habitat. So those are kind of the two existing places where whale detection goes on. But we're really hoping to to see that take off in the next few years and, and, and decades. We're hoping to see as whale detection technology becomes faster and more affordable, we'll see a wider range of companies operating at sea adopting it as part of their standard practice. And that could be, for example, for uh, shipping companies to have automated systems on board their ships to automatically detect whales on the horizon, for instance, using infrared cameras, or it could be for ports. Uh, There's a whole range of industries that could potentially use this technology.
0: Before we finish the interview, I asked Malcolm where he'd like to see this technology take our future.
1: What we're really excited about right now is this idea of real time detection. So rather than having batches of images that we're going through and and annotating uh, more quickly than than a human could do it, actually having a camera and computer system on board ships, for example, that can scan the horizon in real time and alert the crew if there's a whale sighted on the horizon. This would be really useful because you can only do so much when there's a lag between the data collection and the data analysis. You can only do so much to avoid these disturbances or collisions with whales, because by the time you get the results, well, you're already looking at, you know, year old or maybe a few months old results. Whereas if you had uh, a real-time detection on board a ship, you could actually, in real time, alert the crew, and then the crew might, for example, slow down, because that's known to reduce both the noise pollution uh, that's harmful to whales and the risk of collision. And then they could speed up again once the coast was clear. And so that's what we're really excited about. And, and we're thinking about the hardware that might be best to accomplish that task. We're excited about the idea of maybe using infrared cameras on board ships, coupling that with AI. So that's kind of the, the next frontier for us. If we really put our minds to it, it wouldn't be so far so at all. This kind of thing exists. For example, uh, self-driving cars exists in, in tons of other applications. It's just a question of getting the interest and, and, and the momentum to do this in an area where it can protect these ecosystems.
0: Whale seeker is using modern technology to correct past mistakes we've made with nature. But whales are only a small drop in a massive ocean. This is a rich ecosystem that humanity has damaged without really considering what it gives us. Because, while Whale seeker might only be tracking whales to protect them from unfortunate collisions with ships, and to get a better sense of their numbers, this episode really wasn't about saving the whales with ethical AI, was it? It was really about saving phytoplankton so that we can breathe. And to do that, we need to save the whales. Thank you for listening to Technality, a Narsity Media podcast. It's hosted and produced by me, Jacqueline Swan. To stay up to date on where your future is headed subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And for more technology content, follow technology's socials.